Good morning. So we're going to enter into our meditative moment here. So if that's a time that it feels better to have your cameras off, you're of course welcome to do that. Um, one of the things that I think we're really leaning to into as a church community in this season is our diversity. And it's going to be really great to see all the different voices that I hope we can hear from during this time of going through the Beatitudes. And so for a meditative moment this morning, this week we're focusing on blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And one of the ways to think about being poor in spirit is just to be aware of your need and aware of the ways that, that maybe we have stuff that we're working on. And, um, and so one of the ways we do that is by recognizing diverse experience and, and our need within ourself to um, be okay with other people's ways of experience spirituality or that other people have different historical differences or we have different experience. And part of what we do is we, we practice radical acceptance within ourselves so that we can offer that radical acceptance and an unconditional love for our fellow brothers and sisters in the world. So we're going to start with just kind of like a breath prayer practice. And then I'm actually going to share a story with you that's a really beautiful journey through the Beatitudes, through the eyes of the uh, American Black community and their historical experience. And then we're going to return to the breath prayer. So I invite you just to get comfortable in your seat, however that works for you. And, um, and then we're going to just, on the breath in, you can just say, Jesus Christ, Son of God, and just hold that invitation for a moment. And then on the breath out, we're just going to say, have mercy, have mercy on me. So I'm just going to invite you to do that a couple times together, and then I'm going to share the story with you. So let's breathe in together. Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. And again, breathe in. Jesus Christ, Son of God, breathe out. Have mercy on me. And one more time, breathe in. Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. I've got this gorgeous book called The Beatitudes from Slavery to Civil Rights, written by Carol Boston Weatherford and illustrated by Tim Ladwig. So I'm going to try and hold it up so you can see it. It's going to be a little bit like Romper Room Story Hour. It's going to be great. I'll show you the artwork is fantastic. This feels like a great book to own, whether you've got little kids or not. So since the first African-American churches were founded in the 18th century, Black religious organizations have brought biblical values to bear on the freedom struggle. Black ministers preached against the institution of slavery and sang spiritual songs promising deliverance from bondage. African-Americans drew on the same faith during the segregation era. And when the masses rose up against racial oppression during the civil rights movement, they were emboldened by a belief in a just and compassionate God. They trusted that God was with them and that he would set them free. 
want you to see this. Let's see, it's hard to do this backwards. I am the Lord your God. I was with the Africans who were torn from the motherland and cramped in holds of ships on the middle passage from, the, from Africa to the Americas. I heard them chant, Kumbaya, Kumbaya. I was with Richard Allen, Absalom Jones, and James Varick, who founded churches where African Americans could praise the Lord and shout, Hallelujah! I rang the church bells. I was with Harriet Tubman as she led, when she fled slavery and as she led others out of bondage, I was the star guiding them north. I was with the US colored troops who fought to end slavery during the Civil War. I beat the drum for freedom. I was with Booker T. Washington and Mary McLeod Bethune who built colleges and lit the way for young minds. I was the lamp. I was with Marion N. Anderson when she sang spirituals on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial after the daughters of the American Revolution barred her from performing in their concert hall. I was the microphone. I was with Rosa Parks when she was arrested for refusing to give up her seat to a white man on a Montgomery City bus. And I was with the citizens who walked rather than ride buses during the boycott. I was their shoes. I was with the mother of 14-year-old lynching victim Emmett Till as she stood at his casket sobbing. I was the shoulder she leaned on. I was on the freedom rides and at the lunch counter sit-ins. I sat alongside the protesters. I was with Martin Luther King Jr. when he shared his dream of brotherhood at the March on Washington. And when peaceful protesters in the Selma to Montgomery March were beaten by police on an Alabama bridge, I nursed the wounded. I was with six-year-old Ruby Bridges when angry whites heckled her as she entered an all-white elementary school to become the first black student. I held her hand. I was with the Mississippi political organizer Fannie Lou Hamer when she got sick and tired of being sick and tired and demanded the right to vote. When she breathed song into the struggle, I shook the tambourine. I was with Barack Obama when he took his oath as president of the United States. I was the Bible where he placed his hand. I was with your ancestors and I will be with your offspring, standing on the side of justice.
Even now, I am with the downtrodden and with those who seek uplift. I am holy water in the stream of humanity. Drink, bathe, and be free. I invite you again to return to that place of holding space for a story and for an experience that is really different from our own. And God, we need your presence with us to guide us into this era of learning how to be with, how to accept difference and how to believe people's story and be a part of your healing. May we be your hands and feet. May we be the heart that listens and holds space. And so I invite you to return to that prayer and breathe in. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, and breathe out. Have mercy on me. Again, breathe in. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. And once more, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Amen. Karina, thank you. That, um, that book was part of the, the reason we chose to do the Beatitudes. Uh, running along the bottom of the pages, there is, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now this morning I get to do an overview of uh, the Beatitudes and try really hard not to steal anybody's thunder from the coming weeks. So, Let's get going. This is um, uh, Matthew 4, 23, 5 through 12, and we'll have Keaton read it, uh, Tyson read it in a minute, but hold, not yet, Tyson, almost. Um, he started out on his mission. It was time to communicate that the kingdom of God was here and tell everyone what that meant. He gathered his disciples and invited them to follow him. Everyone had heard about Jesus, it seemed. They knew who he was. They knew that he was a healer and a helper and that had power to restore broken bodies and minds. He'd been doing it all over town. He'd been doing it all over the countryside and everybody who was brought to him from all over the region and beyond. But it was time. He needed to communicate his message to his followers and read them in on the mission so that they could do it with him. They needed to know how things were gonna work. So he went up a mountain and they followed him. And the crowd leaned in to hear what he was saying. If you uh, look over my shoulder right here, you can see that there is Jesus on the mountain with all of his followers um, on the mountain listening. Uh, I wonder, I mean, Jesus went up a mountain like Moses had done before him, like Elijah had done. This was the place where the Israelites knew that they could go and meet with God, that they could hear from him. I wonder where your place is. Where do you hear from God? I have a few different places. I have my art desk um, and I have water, water of any kind, rivers, oceans, lakes, the bath. Those are all places that I feel like I connect the most. I wonder where yours are. Maybe put it in the chat. I'd love to, I'd love to find, uh, see where your, uh, where your places are. Where do you connect with God? For the people of God, it was mountains. 
In the collective mind of the people of God, there was a memory of what it meant to go up a mountain. For me, to go up a mountain means to get a better view, to see further, to breathe cleaner air, and to rewild myself, to connect with a wild world that I am a creature of. I was listening to a Krista Tippett podcast the other day, um, and it was a lady called Robin Wald Kimmerer was talking about the intelligence of plants. And she said um, that it's only been a relatively short length of time since we were wildlife. We domesticated ourselves by starting farming and uh, building towns and cities and things, but we're actually, you know, deep down, we are wildlife. We are creatures. And so perhaps that's why it does us good when we step back into the wild. Anyway, I digress, back to mountains. Um, I'm just trying to picture a place where Jesus gathered. Um, and in, in my, my memory, I go back to uh, living in Bahrain in the Middle East as a teenager. Bahrain is this really small cluster of islands in uh, the Arabian Gulf. Um, the biggest island is just 48 kilometers north to south and 16 kilometers at its widest point. So it's a tiny island and actually the bottom half of it is military so you can't go into that anyway. In the middle of the island there is an escarpment that is grandly called the Jebel al Dakan. It's a mountain of smoke is what that means. It, it's called a mountain because although it's only 134 meters in elevation it's the highest thing around. And it's called mountain of smoke because there are often clouds, mists that kind of hang around the top. From the top of it on a clear day, you can see the whole island pretty much, and you can see the water that's all around it. And the climb is pretty easy, if I'm honest. 134 meters is not that tricky. Um, and on a good day, you can see everything. And this is the kind of mountain that I picture when I picture Jesus going up a mountain and leading his group. But it probably wasn't desert like that. It was probably more likely uh, like the rolling hills of the Okanagan, like about 200 meters above sea level, green, lush. And so since moving to BC, that's the kind of mountains I think of. I think of those that surround us. The air is better. The air is cleaner. And I think it's improving again since the wildfire smoke is clearing out. Um, but I feel like I can breathe in the mountains. I feel like there is space. We camp most years up at Golden Ears and it's lovely to find that space in the mountains. Not least because there's no cell reception whatsoever. So for the people of God to go up a mountain was to meet with God and to hear God speak. Moses had had numerous visits with God on the mountain and it was there surrounded by clouds like in my Jebel image that he received the Ten Commandments. Elijah heard the whisper of God in the silence on the side of the mountain. The image of mountains as meeting places to hear from God was part of their collective memory and it's important that we find our spaces and our places to hear from God, to intentionally make time and space to listen. Jesus did it regularly. There's probably something that we should take from the way that he lived his life and the unhurried pace of living. Okay, I'm going to pop over and I'm going to look and see what's happening in the chat. Yep, water, catching waves. Uh, on my knees cleaning floors, in the backyard watching sunsets, when I've really listened to how I'm feeling inside, a cosy chair with a lit candle and a view from a window. Whenever I pause and find conscious stillness, just stopping for a hot minute and noticing God and being by water definitely helps. I love all those different perspectives. That's very cool. There are lots of places that we can go to meet with God. Anyway, back to the story. So Jesus led them up the mountainside and he sat down to teach as Jewish teachers did. Jesus knew it was time to lay out and explain about what the kingdom of God was like 
and he needed to explain his ideas to the disciples that he'd chosen to follow him so that they could join him in the work of establishing the kingdom on earth. Jesus starts the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes, and that's going to be our series between now and November 22nd. And uh, I am going to try really hard not to talk about any Beatitude this morning, but the Beatitudes generally, because if I do talk about any particular one, somebody else who's coming after me will be mad because I'm taking their fodder. So um, from next week until we wrap up, we'll be talking about one Beatitude at a time. But for today, I'm going to do a a broad overview and so Tyson is going to read the passage for us so Tyson if you want to hop on forward and you're on okay so just double checking it's Matthew 4 verse 23 to Matthew 5 to 12 that is correct okie dokie Jesus went through Galilee teaching in their synagogues preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people News, oh wait, where news about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are those poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of their righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely slay all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Thanks, Tyson. That word, blessed, Jesus uses it over and over and over. I, the, the word that the, the uh, quote comes to mind is, uh, you keep using that word. I do not think you mean what it thinks it means. Um, I, uh, I can imagine the better off, the well-to-do and the comfortable in the crowd thinking, Jesus, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. And he's like, exactly. It does not mean what you think it means. It means something different. Jesus tells them to be blessed means different things than you, to you than to me. So let me explain what I mean by blessed. These things are what it means to be blessed. Now the kingdom of God has come. It's not me, it's you. You need a change of view. I imagine this whole thing going on in their heads. They're like, what even what? Even now, all these years later, where we say we follow the way of Jesus, it's still back to front. It's still back to front and upside down. It, that what Jesus says about being blessed is not what we mind when we say hashtag blessed. From where I stand, the things that Jesus says are not the things that we perceive at all as being blessings. Hashtag blessed is not used the way Jesus uses it. We just don't perceive it this way. Our culture has trained us differently. This is why the Beatitudes are such a radical collection of teachings. They mess with the world system 
Like a box of Lego, Jesus tips the whole thing upside down and dumps it all out on the floor. And now wherever we walk, we are going to step on something very uncomfortable. His words are meant to mess up our thinking. Had we been together today in person, I would actually have given you all a piece of Lego as you walked in the door. I would have, I would have had this thing and just gone, this, you need this. This is important. You need this to remember this stuff is painful. And you need this because this is uncomfortable. And you need to remember how uncomfortable this is. If you have Lego in your house, I suggest you get some out and put it on a mantelpiece or put it somewhere where you're going to see it to remind you that this is uncomfortable teaching. You see, for, for some people, the kingdom of heaven is not a soft place to walk. It's actually painful. Um, for the part of society that think they have it all together, it, it's uncomfortable. I mean, that, that thing hurts when you stand on it. But for others, for those who we would think actually aren't blessed, for them it's the building blocks they need to actually build their lives. So if you don't have Lego, find something small and painful and put it somewhere where you can see, maybe like a thumbtack or something, just something where you can just be reminded that this is uncomfortable, but is also a building block for somebody else. So the Beatitudes are good news for everyone else. It's good news for the hurting and the suffering. It's good news for those who dealt with, have been dealt less than an easy card to play in life. It's also good news for those who are working to make life easier for others. So with those parameters, who are the people that Jesus didn't mention in the Beatitudes that should be there? Who are the hurting and suffering? Who are those dealing with a difficult card to play in life? And who are those people that we can, like um, Karina says, who can we hold space for? Who can we hold space for with those who have a story that is different to ours, but is a, is a painful one? Because the, the Beatitudes are good news for them. So which groups of people would fit into this scenario? Which, which groups? I would love you just to, uh, I'm sure your brain is going, oh, I can think of some people who would fit into that. So throw it in the chat and uh, we'll have a look. Um, I imagine the reactions of the crowd who were leaning into Jesus's words and were, maybe some of them were offended because they were like, well, well I don't fit in this list. Where am I? I'm not there. What do you mean I'm not blessed? Some people were astonished. Clearly, Jesus doesn't understand how the world works. But some of them were relieved as they saw their life situations and their trauma and hurt and misfortune in the words of Jesus and the promises that he made. Their culture told them that power and possessions are what makes people happy. Or hashtag blessed. And our culture is exactly the same. But Jesus says that's not how the kingdom of God works. And as followers of the way of Jesus, our way is to be different. The kingdom of God is not like the kingdoms of the world. The Beatitude names groups of people that we would not perceive as blessed, and he offers them a gift of healing and hope right now, not just in the future. So let's see, who'd you put in? Um, gay and transgender people, drug addicted, grieving people, working poor, First Nations, low income. Anybody else? Women. Okay, hold those, hold those people in your minds. Trafficked people. Slaves. Refugees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
all these groups, homeless people. We're going to think in a minute about what God might want to say to those individuals and those groups. Um, but for now, let's just be aware of them. Just hold them kind of, let's hold space. Jesus is not, like, you could read this and go, Jesus is just blowing smoke. Like, he's just saying words. He is like a magician, blowing smoke to cover this trick. This isn't how it really is. But he's saying, no, actually, this is how it really is. This is how the kingdom of God works. But is it how it really seems? Yeah, no, not yet. Jesus is also not just spinning to make things seem better. He's not gaslighting the disciples. He's not gaslighting the crowd. This is truly how the kingdom of God is, but it is not how it seems. It's really hard at this point not to get into the specifics of the Beatitudes. I'm trying really, really hard not to go, because like, blessed are them. I could say something about all of them, but I won't. Um, we're going to go back to the Lego pieces on the floor, because these are the things that cause pain, the refugees, the homeless, the incarcerated, porn stars in the porn industry. Everybody whose life is just, you know, you stand on that thing, then that thing hurts. So because I couldn't say anything to the Beatitudes as they're written in Matthew, I was looking around this week for other things that cause pain, other pieces of Lego on the floor. And I asked God what might, what he might want to say to that. So that was my, I had that in my brain as I was going through this week. What is the promise of the kingdom of God in this situation? I was watching Queer Eye as I was lying down this week. Um, and Jonathan was having a conversation with a woman who was, as he did her hair, she was telling him about being bullied at school. And he was relating to her from his own experience of feeling like he didn't fit in during high school. Being bullied is Lego on the floor. Being bullied really hurts. Jonathan said, and I'm going to paraphrase him to make it into a beatitude, blessed are the bullies, for they learn to be empathetic. When you know what it is to hurt, you can see another person's pain. What would God say in response to the pain statement of blessed are the bullied? What do you think God would say? The genius of Jesus' teaching is that he embraces tragedy. He embraces suffering, he embraces pain and betrayal and death itself to bring us to God. Um, with Jesus, there are no dead ends. Everything can be transmuted, everything can be used. Everything. All those things that we're seeing in the chat right now, all those kinds of people, everything can be made right. And that's the promise of the Beatitudes. Um, blessed are the chronically ill. This one literally stares me in the face every time I look in the mirror. Blessed are the chronically ill, for they will be given patience. Notice I say given, not that they have, but they are given it. I think it's a gift. I get to practice patience, but I believe it's a gift that I've been given. It's not something I can whip up on my own. I really can't. I need patience with myself. Patience with the system. Patience with those who want to help but do so awkwardly. And this is the promise that I hold on to even the days that I really don't feel it. Blessed are the chronically ill for they will be given patience. Patience with myself on the days that I decide to do the fun thing anyway, even though I'm going to pay later. Patience with myself when I'm frustrated that I've become an I'm sorry I can't do that kind of person when I always used to be a totally I can do that person. 
patients with myself or my brain malfunctions and I can't read or make sense of a recipe or the instructions to build something. I was trying to put a basket on the front of my bike and I could not figure out the instructions for the life of me. Like my brain, I was reading it and going, yeah, no, I don't know. I just, what? Doesn't make any sense. Brain was just utterly malfunctioning. I was like, never mind, I'll come back again. Patience with myself when taking a sermon, taking, writing a sermon takes way longer because I can't write coherent sentences. Patience with the system that has kept me waiting for an appointment at the chronic diseases clinic for 28 and a half months now. The waiting list was 24 months when I first joined it, but COVID has slowed the whole thing down. Patience with the people who have great ideas and are trying to help. I have a shirt that says, yes, I have tried that. Because mostly I have tried that. Blessed are the chronically ill, for they will be given patience. So what else? What are the painful Lego pieces strewn across the ground for each of us? Blessed are those who are working to help the displaced following the fire at the Mariah camp in Greece, for they will be given. What would God say to them? Blessed are those who are displaced because of fire, both at that camp and across the Western United States, for they will like, what would God say to them? Blessed are those who are victims of abuse of all kinds. What would God say to them? Blessed are those who are impacted by trauma. What would God say to them? Blessed are those who are trafficked. What would God say to them? And what would God say to us? I think God would say to us, you're on. I read the disciples in at the beginning on this is how the kingdom of God works and you're my disciples and you're on. You do it. So how do we become the hands and feet of Jesus to make the kingdom of God a reality for those who are less fortunate than us? Oh, Karina, that's really good. She's just put it in the chat. And when we don't know, we don't have to make something up. We can just be with. I don't know what to say, but I am here. Our presence can be the presence of God to somebody else. Jesus sat down to talk to his disciples to explain to them how the kingdom of God works because he wanted them to do it with them. And I think that's what he wants us to do. I think he wants us to do it with them. In John 14, we find Jesus talking to the disciples and he says this. Believe me, I am in my Father, and my Father is in me. If you can't believe that, believe what you see, these works. Jesus has been healing and helping and restoring people left, right and centre since he returned from the wilderness after his baptism. Although I bet he was doing it before then too, on the, quietly on the side. They have seen his works. They know what he can do. We've read about that. We've read about that stuff. And we've seen, we've seen his works too, some of us, for ourselves. And he reminds the disciples that they are in this too. He reminds us that we're in this too. As followers of Jesus in this venture of bringing the kingdom of God, we get to do it together. He goes on, the person who trusts me will not only do what I'm doing, but even greater things, because I, on the way to my father, am giving you the same work to do that I've been doing. You can count on it. From now on, 
Whatever you request along the lines of who I am and what I'm doing, I'll do it. That's how the Father will be seen for who he is in the Son. I mean it. Whatever you request in this way, I'll do. Jesus says, I am giving you the same work to do that I have been doing. The kingdom of God has come, and so we need to make it so. You know, like that Star Trek thing, make it so, number one. We need to make it so. The kingdom of God has come, and we need to make it so. We need to pick up the Lego that we can. We need to maybe clear a path across the carpet to make it easier for somebody else to walk. We need to help maybe clear the debris that people are walking through and help figure out how to be helpers and healers of broken bodies and broken lives and just be with people like God is with us. This is the kingdom of God at work and God does it through us. Some of the Beatitudes are to the helpers. There's a promise that comes with being merciful seeking justice and working for peace. Um, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who passed away this week, was a Supreme Court judge in the US and she said this, if you wanna be a true professional, you will do something outside yourself, something to repair tears in your community, something to make life a little better for people less fortunate than you. That's what I think a meaningful life is, living not for oneself, but for one's Man, she sounds like Jesus. Does that not sound like picking up a Lego piece for somebody else? The Jewish equivalent of our rest in peace is may her memory be a blessing. And there's an indication in those words that those who remain carry on her work, that her memory is a blessing as it's carried forward by others. So in her case, that's the work of justice. And in Jesus's case, that's the work of the kingdom of God. So let's think about our own Lego pieces right now. What is the painful thing in the place where you walk? Or what do you see that you can help with? Let's um, just spend a little bit of time reflecting on that. If you have Lego, hold it in your hand. If you don't, you'll have to use your imagination. So my little Lego piece, name it. What is the painful situation or the less than ideal thing that you're facing or seeing for somebody else? And once you've named it, then acknowledge that this is the way that you have to walk and there is no way around it, but through. But in it, there is a promise from God to be had as well. The Beatitudes are a statement and a promise. So what is the promise that God has for you? If you already know it, then say it. But if you don't, then ask God to show you. There's something quite powerful about saying it out loud. God has promised me this. He might show you now, or he might show you later. But if Jesus is to be trusted, and I believe he truly is, then there is a promise as you walk through this. I'm just going to be quiet so you can listen for a second.
God, I thank you that there is a, prom a promise in pain. I thank you that the Beatitudes show us that there is, there is pain, but there is a promise too. That it's not just that we're left with it, but you promise us your presence. And may we be that presence to others. May we recognise your presence with us. And uh, let's just close by praying the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.